From the EPR Creation Studio, this is Unconquered with Doc Staples. As always, this podcast is brought to you by EPR Creations, bringing you the best of internet marketing and website development for an affordable price by Luis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, by Shenandoah Real Estate in the Research Triangle, and by Garage Makeovers, the number one garage remodeling company in South Florida. And of course, by all of you who've continued to sponsor and support via Patreon. Thanks so much for that. Let's go ahead and get to this. Uh, I'd had a plan of doing position by position scouting reports, player by player, going through doing all of that and doing it not only on the podcast, but also releasing that on the website in some written form. And frankly, I've just run out of time uh, to be able to do all of that as I wanted. Uh, for one thing, uh, <laughs> I was going to, even after I, I'd kind of lost the ability to do that because of some other uh, things this summer, the, I was going to be doing some releasing quite a bit of that last week. And then on Tuesday, uh, one of the professors in my department decided to resign about half an hour, a little less than half an hour before his first class uh, that he was going to be teaching. So uh, since I'm sort of a uh, jack of all trades in our department, uh, I'm suddenly uh, I found myself building and uh, working towards getting a uh, full college class ready to go that I've, I hadn't taught previously and all of that. Uh, basically within the, during the week of the first week of classes. So uh, it's been a little bit of a hectic week, but um, we're getting there and I'm still going to be releasing several things this week. Basically the plan here is I will do a, an offensive line podcast, which is this one. So we'll talk about offensive line first then quarterbacks and running backs together, and then wide receivers and tight ends together, and then uh, defensive front, and then uh, defensive, uh, you know, back back seven, if you want to call it that. Uh, I might end up doing front and linebackers and secondary separately, but working on that. And then finally, I'm going to do a full season preview, <laughs> and then the LSU preview. So I've got a lot of things that are going to release this week and probably going to have more than one episode per day dropping. But uh, for those of you who are ready to get into full season form, I guess there's no way like uh, like that to to build in. But, uh, you know, the best laid plans when you have uh, multiple multiple things that you're responsible for uh, don't always work. So that's where we are. But anyway, we are we're going to be talking Florida State's offensive line here. And, you know, it's going to be really interesting. Uh, one of the things, and you're going to hear me say this multiple times this week, one of the things that I learned to do a few years ago, I mean, this podcast has been going for over 10 years and, you know, I've learned in the process. Uh, one of the things that I've learned to do is to evaluate, not just on the, on the basis of, you know, player by player doing scouting reports on that which is something that I do for, for these teams that I, that I cover. Uh, but to evaluate where that team was situated, where the weaknesses were, where the strengths were the prior year. And then I, I, I like to compare year over year. Okay. Is this team going to be stronger or weaker at this spot? And in this position group, than they were the prior year. And then you can kind of set ceiling expectations and then floor expectations. 
So this is this is where I think it can be really interesting to look at Florida State over over recent years. You can see that each year that Mike Norvell has been in in Tallahassee, they've found ways to upgrade at whatever the weakness was the prior year. I think Norvell and his staff do a tremendous job self-scouting and recognizing where they need to improve. So you go back to last year on the offensive line, and they knew going into last year that they needed to upgrade their situation on the offensive line. And the thing is, that's really hard to do because offensive line takes a while to build through high school recruiting. It's very, very difficult to build offensive line through high school recruiting if you don't already have players on the offensive line. And we've talked about this at length on this podcast in recent years, especially looking at how when they have signed top level guys, you know, your Landon Dickerson type guys. One of the problems that they've had in recent years is that they basically had to force those guys into action going all the way back to late Jimbo. They kept having to force those guys into action and play them right away. And then like 80% of those guys got hurt in that first year at some point. And that's just brutal. It kills your development. That guy goes from being an elite potential guy to being somebody that is, you know, he's a good player, but never quite is able to reach his potential because of those early injuries. And so much on the offensive line is about getting guys who are physically developed. You want grown men on the offensive line. That's really what makes a huge difference. There, there is a difference between 22-year-olds, 23-year-olds, and 18-year-olds. And I know that's the most obvious thing in the world, but a lot of people forget this because you get a five-star or a high four-star 18-year-old and everybody ends up excited that like, okay, they're going to finally have the offensive line fixed. And then that guy goes, goes against 22 and 23-year-olds on the defensive line and he gets hurt because he's just not physically ready. Well, last year was yet another example of Mike Norvell figuring, understanding this. So they've added some great talent in the, in the high school ranks in recent years. They added some guys, Julian Armella, Jalen Early, Quayshon, Quayshon Sapp, you know, Kaniah uh, Charlton, a series of guys, Daughtry Richardson. I mean, that was a, that was an elite offensive line freshman class. But what they did is they went and they found guys in the transfer portal that they could plug in and play in front of those guys so that they could develop for the future. And the thing is, those guys were pretty good. Bless Harris was starter going into the season, looked like he'd be a really good player, and then he got hurt. So, you know, he was in position to be that guy and then wasn't able to be that guy. And then they had Dimitri Emmanuel coming in from Charlotte, Plug and play at right guard was a good player, not a great player, but a good player, solid player at right guard, solidified that position. And then they were smart enough to recognize the lack of depth at the offensive tackle position and on the offensive line in general, in terms of experienced grown men bodies and took Jazz Turnitin at the last minute to provide some depth there, to be a guy that could compete across the board. And it turned out when Harris went down, they needed him. And then Robert Scott got hurt. Darius Washington was dinged up a little bit. So they wound up 
last year, Robert Scott playing, you know, dinged up a good bit of the year. And then uh, Gibbons at left guard, Maurice Smith at center, Emmanuel at right guard, and then Turnitine at right tackle. And he struggled at times at, at right tackle. And there are a couple times that they had to go with Washington at right tackle just to have somebody who is a, a more fluid athlete at that position. And Turnitine killed them in a couple of games where they they lost those games. But he also saved them in a couple of games. They don't win the LSU game last year without Turnitine. They don't. But they had some problems depth-wise. And they had, you know, th- their, their situation was, Bless Harris goes down and you just don't have a guy who can step in and play at the level that you hope for at that position. And then if Robert Scott and Bless Harris are dinged up and Harris is out for the year, Scott goes down, now you're, you're razor thin. And then at guard, they were, they were limited. I mean, Gibbons was a really good college player, good, a good leader, but he got banged up. He got hurt and he was a shell of himself by the end of the year. And they just didn't have other players that could step in and be at that level and, and play winning football against good defensive lines without that. So enter this year, you know, now, now we're coming into this year and Essentially, if you're evaluating last year, you felt like you had going into the season with Scott, uh, Gibbons, Smith, Emmanuel, and Harris across the, the five from left to right. You felt like if those guys stayed healthy all year, you know, 2013 style, then you, you could be pretty good. Could be, you know, average to above average with that group if they all stayed healthy. But that's the thing is nobody stays healthy. It's very rare to have a 2013 type season where everybody stays pretty much healthy up front. And the thing was, they knew one of those guys goes down and now you're at Turnitin, who's a who's a bit of a drop off from those guys. And then if anybody else goes down, then, you know, you've got Washington to fill in at those spots, but he was coming off injury himself. So you're talking about razor thin, basically, last year. So the ceiling of the group was, you know, average to a little above average. And then the floor was below average, you know, not not being not being all that great and and limited, especially against better defensive lines, having to start to uh, smoke, use some smoke and mirrors against better defensive lines. So that brings us to this year. And I think it's a very different situation this year. So the first thing that they did is they went out and they added three more transfers in the transfer portal which gives them one more year of cushion before having to play last year's freshman. So by the time Julian Armella, Jalen Early, Quayshon Sapp, Daughtry Richardson, Kanaya Charlton, those guys, by the time those guys are actually out on the field, they're grown men and they're ready to play. And they're much less likely to get hurt. Those guys, a couple of those guys are already looking like they may be ready to go or close to ready to play now. But again, they don't need to. You don't need to press those guys into play. And so what they did, they added Casey Roddick at left guard, Keandre Jones as a swing player. And Roddick actually was brought in to challenge Smith at center, but Maurice Smith is a fighter and he continues to hold on to that position. So good for him. I'll take that guy on my team anytime. Then Keandre Jones as a guy who could play either guard and then Jeremiah Byers, who really would be more ideal at right guard if you have a, a superstar type tackle, but he may be the best tackle on the team too. So he's another guy that, again, you look at him physically and he just looks different. 
So you add those three guys to the roster and you lose Turnitin, who wouldn't have been a starter last year had they not lost Harris, and then Gibbons. So that brings us to where you where where, where things are now. I think coming out of camp, I expect it to be Bless Harris or Robert Scott at left tackle. Now Scott again has been working back from injury, so you know, he may he may be listed as the starter there, but I wouldn't be surprised if if Bless Harris was actually the guy playing there right now. And again, we'll, we'll, it'll be interesting to see what happens at that left tackle spot. Roddick at left guard, Smith at t- at center, Emmanuel at right guard, might be Darius Washington at right guard, might be Darius Washington filling in across the board. You know, I think he's probably the swing guy who's just going to he's going to play at different positions and he'll play left guard. He'll play right guard. He might come in and, and spell somebody at tackle if need be. But I think that's what you're going to see there. And then Byers at right tackle. And then Robert Scott still coming off injury. And, uh, and, you know, now the real question is if he were healthy, would, would you put him, if you were fully healthy, would you swing him over to right tackle and have Byers swing into right guard? Which point I think you've probably got your best five. Harris, Roddick, Smith, Byers, and Scott. That's probably your best five. But here's the thing. When I look at this offensive line and I start to evaluate, okay, where are they in terms of comparison to last year? How good can this offensive line be in comparison to last year? Have they upgraded at different spots? So first of all, right guard, if Emmanuel's starting at right guard, that's that's a wash. You can just kind of take that one and go, okay, no, that, that's that's the same. But... You've got more depth behind him because you have Auburn transfer Keandre Jones, who's a, a grown man. Now he's got some some he's still got to get into a little bit better shape. He's not quite as quick a mover as you'd like, but if you want a mauler, a masher, he can do it. Darius Washington also healthier coming into this year, the healthiest he's probably been at Florida State. As a good backup. So you're solid there. You're you've got more cushion there than you had last year. But as a starter, it's basically a wash. Maurice Smith came in heavier, stronger, healthier than he's been. Little A slight upgrade at center then as a result of that. And then again, you have Washington and Roddick as guys that can, that can play behind him. You feel pretty good about that spot in terms of compared to last year. Slight upgrade there. So even with a little bit more depth, slight upgrade at center. And then let's go to the left side here before we go, before we talk right side. And I think Roddick is a significant athletic upgrade over Gibbons. And that's over, over healthy Gibbons. And Gibbons was not healthy pretty much most of last year. I mean, after the Louisville game, basically everybody was hurt. So you look at, you look at last year's offensive line, and Gibbons was, was you know, basically playing on one leg after the second half of the year, or during the second half of the year. And... Compared to that, you're going to already be an upgrade. But I think Roddick is a significantly better athlete than Gibbons was at that spot and gives you more as a starter. So that's an uptick at that spot. And again, you have some depth that you feel better about than you did last year because you not only have Washington who can slide in there, you've got Keandre Jones who can slide in there. You've also got Jalen Early who's much more prepared to play now as a redshirt freshman than he was last year as a true freshman. And that's not even considering Bryson Estes, you know, some, some of these other guys that are a little bit older 
that that could potentially step in. But I, I think I think early would be the guy there if if something went down and you lost two, you know, Roddick and Washington and Jones went down early would be like the, the fourth guy probably to plug in. But that tells you how deep you are. Right. So that's a significant upgrade. And what that does is that that depth. That raises your floor. That tells you, OK, well, if this happens, we're not completely screwed can still play and still play, don't have to make a lot of changes, can still play football, can still play, can still run your offense. And then you go to left tackle. What I've seen from Harris in terms of movement skills, in terms of ability to bend and handle edge stuff and to you know, be an athlete in terms of some of the counter stuff and the power stuff that, that they do, he, he, I think Harris is an NFL draft pick. Not sure how high a draft pick yet, because you know he's going to have to prove some things this year in terms of of doing it in games against the level of play that you're going to see. But I think he could be you know a first three or four round draft pick guy just physically, and looking at what he's doing and and how he's improved some technique and all of that. I think you're looking at a guy that's a draft pick after this year, and I think he's I think he's a guy that can handle edge stuff, edge pressure, and all of that. So that, I think, is a significant upgrade, especially once Scott gets healthy. If you've got Scott rotating in as, a, as your third tackle and somebody goes down, Scott was one of your starters last year at the beginning of the year. He, he was your arguably your best offensive lineman last year, and now he's your, your rotational piece at, at, at tackle. That, that's, that's a significant upgrade. So that's an upgrade at left guard, an upgrade at left tackle. And more depth because Julian Armella, I think, can come in and play at an ACC level now. Is he ready to be a starter? No. Is he a guy that is ready to be an all-ACC player yet? No. He's he's still, still a puppy. But if you're looking at, would you take Julian Armella this year over Turnitin from last year? I think the answer is yes. And I think it's a strong yes. Armella's got some physical abilities and 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 capacities that they haven't had a whole lot of in Tallahassee, and that's not even bringing up the you know the the, the freshman Lucas Simmons, who's gained some really good weight. But he's ideally he's not going to be able to he's not going to need to be uh, playing at all. You know you hope Simmons gets four games of of reps in big blowouts. And then you put double and you put uh, bubble wrap on him and you let him just continue to get conditioned and, and, and stronger during the season. That's what you hope for. Because Simmons could be a starter next year. You might move Armella to the other side. And, you know, Simmons is a is a prototype left tackle. There, there's a lot of things that, that, that could happen next year. But you've got so much more depth at those spots, especially if Scott, you know, is healthy enough to be a good player. And even if he's not right now, Armella, I think, is an upgrade over your backup last year coming into the first game. And I think you've got a significant upgrade at left tackle just in general as a starter. And then finally, we move back over to the right side. And here's where the biggest upgrade is. And that's Jeremiah Byers at right tackle. Now, compared to Harris last year, Harris, first of all, was coming out of a, you know, FCS level transfer. Byers has played FBS before and has multiple seasons of, of starting experience. He's he's a more seasoned and and better prepared player than Harris was going into last year. 
He's also a stronger athlete. And so, you know, Harris, he looked like a good prospect last year, but was still, you know, a year away from really where you'd, you'd hope he'd be. And I think he's getting close to that now. Byers, I think now, is the most talented player on this offensive line among the starters. I mean, as I said, he just looks different. So you compare him to last year, and compared to Harris, he's an he's a slight upgrade over last year. Compared to Turnitin, who was the de facto starter after game one. I mean, remember, Harris tore, tore up his shoulder game one last year. So really, after game one, going into LSU. So if we just ignore week one last year and just start with LSU like you're doing this year, going into LSU, Byers is an enormous upgrade over Jazz Turnitin. Not only a stronger, more fluid athlete, but a guy that, that uh, in terms of overall level of play and experience and all of that, has, has proven a lot more to this stage. And then behind him, you've got a healthy Washington. You could put Robert Scott in there. You've got some depth. So the biggest thing that sticks out here is, first of all, the depth is, is really significant. I think you've got eight to 10 guys. So if you, you count this count this across, who do you feel like can play at the level where they're not just getting their, their tails kicked when they play an LSU or a, or a Clemson type type defense? Look, you're going to lose matchups against, against those types of defensive fronts no matter what. You, everybody, the, the most elite offensive lines in the country. I, I got this, uh, I got a, a, a question sent to me uh for you know a mailbag episode, I might as well stick it in here. Uh, apparently, there was a twenty four seven report that said something along the lines of uh, you know they feel really good about uh, the the offensive line in terms of run blocking, but you know they may struggle against elite defensive lines in pass blocking. And and so you know somebody asked me you know so what do you what do you think about this? Sounds like we're going to have some trouble against elite defensive lines in pass blocking. My response to that is every offensive line. Struggles against elite defensive lines in pass blocking. There's no offensive line in the country that's going to handle elite pass rush without struggling at different points. You know, at some points in the game, everybody struggles against elite pass rushers. The best offensive line in the country, if they're going to face Jared Verse, you could have the two best defense offensive tackles in the country. You face a defensive end like that, and you're going to give up some pressure. You just are, especially if you've got other dudes on the on, on the defensive line. You know, you can scheme around, you know, chipping him and tripling him and all that stuff if he's the only guy. But Florida State's offensive line, and this is the other thing that we you have to consider. Florida State's offensive line has been facing Patrick Payton, Braden Fisk, Jared Verse, Daryl Jackson, these guys in practice every day. That's about as good a defensive line as they're going to play against anybody. That's as good a defensive group as you've got at LSU, as you've got at Clemson. You, you know, you can swap a player out and you can go, well, you know, I prefer this guy from Clemson over that, over, you know, maybe Daryl Jackson or Braden Fisk or Peyton. Nobody's going to be chosen over verse at the edge. But yeah, you, you, you know, you can swap them out. But again, in each case, those guys that as a, as a, four-man front, and that's without including Lovett, who returned to, to action and is looking like he uh, he's ready to go. So you, 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 
you take that group and you're used to facing that kind of player in practice and you're getting that much better every day. Because when you go up against LSU game one, those the level is not going to raise compared to what you've been facing every day in practice. Right? You're 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 used to that. So that level of competition in practice, the thing about Florida State years ago was the the general rule was the, the guys you played against in practice were better than than anybody else that you played all year. So the hardest part of the of the year was was in practice, not in games. You got into the games and it was easier. That's what you want. And they're they're kind of at that point where what they're facing across them, across from them on the defensive line is better than what they're going to play in pretty much every game, except for maybe three or four, where it's close to parity. It's not significant. Nobody's significantly better on the defensive line than Florida State is this year. And this is not the defensive line preview, but we'll 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 get to that later. So you take all that and then you say, okay, well, you know, they've, they've struggled some in practice against the pass rush. Well, yeah. So is everybody else who has to block Peyton verse Fisk, love it. And that, 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 that whole group farmer Briggs. Yeah. Every offensive line that plays Florida state's also going to struggle to block those guys in the pass rush. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's the thing to to consider here is I think this offensive line, if you just compare it to last year and you're saying, okay, Florida State had a top 10 offense last year. Now, the problem is they they had a top 10 offense, but they had some some down games, right? If you look at 2022 Florida State results offensively, you're, you're going to have, you've got a few games where you go, you know, 24 points against LSU. I don't know that 24 points gets it done against LSU this year. Even if you're improved defensively, I think LSU I think LSU is probably a little better offensively. Not sure about that, but I think they're a little better offensively. But the real problem is when they got banged up against Louisville and they lost they lost some some uh some guys up front and were not as healthy. Scored 21 points against Wake Forest, 17 at NC State, and 28 against Clemson. You know, I think to be where you need to be this year, you got to score over 30 in every game. I think defensively with floor, with where FSU is coming into this year, if they're able to score over 30 in every game, they they probably don't lose more than one game this year. At least going into the ACC Championship game. You probably go 11 and 1 in the regular season if you score over 30 in every game. You can't you can't have another game like you did at NC State last year where you score 17. Or against Wake Forest, where you score 21. And if you score 28 against Clemson or, or LSU, you're probably going to lose those games. But here's the thing. It's all about raising the floor for those for those those games where, again, against Wake Forest, they, they were banged up on the offensive line. You know, Jordan Travis was banged up after the Louisville game. They they just were not in a position to to where they had, you know, the full full locked and loaded everything in the chamber kind of situation for that game. And if they end up there this year, okay, so let's say Casey, you know, again, hypothetically, you don't want to, I know there are folks out there who talk about, don't speak this stuff into existence. I don't believe in that. But in any case, you know, let's say one of your, one of your guys goes out or two guys go down on your, on your starting, starting five. Okay. If it's a tackle, you you plug Robert Scott in. If it's a guard or a center, you plug Darius Washington in. Do you feel 
bad about where you are offensively if that's where you if that's what you've got. Let's say at left tackle you've got Robert Scott, left guard you've got Darius Washington instead of Harrison Roddick. Do you feel like you you can't you can't block anymore? Those guys have proven that they can that they can be better player you know among your better players on the offensive line in past seasons, and now they're called upon as as backups in that context. That's a huge deal. So that raises your floor so that you don't get that down game to where you say, okay, you know, you just can't block him because that guy, you know, Gibbons is playing on one leg. Well, if a guy's on one leg, you can let him rest for three or four weeks to get back to get and to get back to, to healthy enough. And the guy behind him is, you know, 90% as good as he is or 95% as good as he is. And he steps right in and there's very little lost. That's, that's how the Alabamas of this world or the Georgias of this world have been able for, for some years to be so consistent is, is basically raising that floor level of your, of your unit to where because of that depth, because, okay, this guy goes down for a couple games, you can plug this guy in and he's still better than the guys he's going against week in, week out. You don't have to scheme around him or, or change everything that you're doing to avoid a catastrophe. And that's a huge deal. So I think that's number one is that the the overall floor of this offensive line, I think the floor of this offensive line is set close to where the ceiling of last year's offensive line was. That's how much Roddick, Byers, and Jones, their addition, plus getting Emmanuel back, I think that's how much that's worth, is essentially the floor of this unit. If things don't go well, if you lose a couple guys to injury for a while, that sort of thing, the floor of this unit, I think, is around where the ceiling of last year's unit was. Now, the ceiling of this unit is really interesting, and that's because, again, they've been facing such a good defensive line in practice that I think in some ways, some of the, some of the folks that are, are seeing this in person, some of the, some of the, the beat folks who cover Florida State in, in those practices might actually be underrating how good this offensive line can be because you, you do see them losing some some reps. You do see them giving up pressure, that sort of thing. But I think they might be better. I think their ceiling might be higher than than folks realize. Now, you look at this and, you know, if Emmanuel was a was an NFL guy, he'd be in the NFL. You know, he's like what, 6th year at this point. If he was if he was a a draft pick, I'll just say that. If he was going to be drafted last year, he would have gone in the draft. So, you know, kind of tells you there, but he's a really good college player and it doesn't hurt you. Roddick is a guy with a chance to make a roster at some point. Smith is a guy who could make a roster. I think Harris and Byers are both draft picks. Smith might be a draft pick too, actually. So you got some guys that, and and Scott's probably a draft pick. Darius Washington might end up a draft pick eventually. You got some guys that are that are good enough talent and fluid enough athletes, strong enough athletes that they're not just going to get pushed around a bunch. In offensive lines, you have to treat almost as a single position because if you have one significant weakness, then you can ex- you can get that exploited, and that's especially true. You know the place where you can't have any weakness at all. The the place that is hardest to hide on an offensive line is center. There's a bare competency at center that you have to have or you can't play, and you you just can't help that position enough. You know, yeah, you say, okay, well, you've got the guard, you know, both guards there. That's fine. But you put a zero over the center and he just beats the center 
you know, he starts pushing the center back right away or beats him with quickness right away. And that's going to expose your entire offensive line. So you got to have guys that can snap the ball and reliably anchor and be good players there. They got three or four of them on this roster. Might have five. And then the next hardest positions to hide are really the tackles. You know, you can kind of hide a guard by helping with the center, help, uh, help with the, with the, uh, with the tackle, you know, some, some things that you can do hiding guards. But again, if a guard is, is not able to anchor, then you still got problems. You can't hide that too much. And I just don't think, I mean, if you look at how defensive defensive coordinators approach this in the modern game, what they're trying to do as often as not is they're trying to create one-on-ones just like offenses do with their wide receivers and all of that. You try to create one-on-ones with your pass rushers and with your, your front guys in the running game. What you try to do is you try to align your front so that you're going to get a one-on-one, say, with a with a three technique or a you know defensive tackle or a defensive end or a tackle and an end somehow in your in your front. Or you're going to get a one-on-one with a guy that can't block it. Where do I have an athletic advantage where I can put this guy where I know that guy across from him just cannot cannot handle it? And I'm going to arrange it. I'm going to align my front so that they can't really help him all that much. That's what you try to do. Now, here's the question. On Florida State's starting five offensive linemen, who's the duck? Who's the guy that you that you that you shoot at? Who's the guy that you try to isolate for those one-on-ones that you think is just he's vulnerable? I don't think it's Harris. I don't think it's Roddick. Roddick was a good player at Colorado. He's a good athlete. It's definitely not Byers. And Smith can handle himself. You know, is it Emmanuel? If if Dimitri Emmanuel, who was actually on some what third team all ACC teams last year, is your weak point? How good is your offensive line? I think this can be a, a top ten group, and I think it might be a top five group. Just if you talk about the combined ceiling and floor, I mean, it's I don't think it's Michigan's group, but I, I've talked about this this off season before. I think this is a top five group because of the 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 high floor that they have and then the I think it's a very high ceiling because I again I think Harris and Byers are, are are really good and we've not seen them you know we've not seen them in games and I think they are significant upgrades on the outside Florida State's played guards at at tackle for some years now yes Byers probably if you had an elite tackle that that was a grown man already you'd love to put him at right guard but he he'd be a super athletic guard who you know basically would be a really good tackle playing guard you know that type of player but they played guards essentially at at, at tackle for some years and now they've got a bunch of tackles on the roster real tackles and that allows you a lot of flexibility you you feel like you can you can do some things in the passing game in with some counter power type gap stuff with those guys because of their athleticism, because of their physicality, that you, you you haven't been able to do as reliably in prior years. And I do think the other big difference with this offensive line last year, if you look at the metrics, and I you know I'll I'll break out some metrics for some of the other position groups. I don't think the metrics quite matter as much for this group as they as they do for some of the other groups because you've got three different starters coming in. You didn't have Harris, Roddick, and Byers on last year's team. 
Last year's team, you know, the the power metrics were not great in terms of short yardage. They 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 struggled with some of that at different points, and that cost them some points in key games. And then, you know, they had some issues with, you know, allowing early pressure at different points last year. You know, pressure within the first second, second and a half of of a snap. Now, Jordan Travis is so escapable that he was able to to make, you know, chicken salad out of that a decent amount of the time, but those were your issues that you had last year. And if you trace the source of those issues, it's things like, well, you've got Gibbons who's playing on one leg against Clemson. And yeah, he allowed early pressure. <laughs> they, they, you know, isolated him and, you know, he couldn't win the one-on-one there. Yeah, that happened. Yeah, Turnitin. First of all, Turnitin had a, had a habit of telegraphing. Uh, there, there, were a lot of, there was a lot of tipping of what Florida State was going to do, run or pass and different things off of Turnitin last year. Talked to an opposing staff member from a, an opposing defense who, you know, said, yeah, we, we just kept looking at 79 on, he would do this, he would do this, he would do this. And, you know, we, we knew we had a good sense of what was going to happen in terms of whether it's run or pass or different types of plays. So you, you know, you had early pressure, mostly from, from those two spots last year. Now, Scott, when he got banged up, gave up some, but that, that was a that was that that's not going to be an issue with either spot this year if those guys if you've got Roddick and Byers in in those spots. I think you give up a significant a significantly lower level of early pressure. And I think when it comes to mashing in the running game, I think Smith is stronger and healthier than he's been. Roddick I think is a is a more powerful athlete at left guard and then Harrison Byers I think are are, you know, sufficiently powerful. I think they're going to be able to run the football on the inside. And I think also they may do some situational stuff where on goal line or or real short yardage where it's fourth and one, and they know they need to pound it. You may see some other guys come on, come on the field where they, you know, they say, okay, Dimitri, we're going to put Keandre Jones in there at that right guard and just let him mash. You know, that may be a role. You know, you may, you may put a couple of the, the really bigger, you know, the beefier guys on the field, they can go seven offensive linemen and load it up if they want. Wouldn't be surprised to see extra offensive linemen a couple times where, you know, you put your starting five out there plus a Robert Scott or plus a Keandre Jones and, and just mash. And I think they will be better in, in the, in the short yardage game as a result. And then that's not even considering when you add biscuit, when you add Marquise and Douglas, who's like 280 some pounds, as the big inline tight end, you've got some you've got some beef that you can put on the field. He's like a, a sixth offensive lineman already. I think this football team is going to be a very difficult team to stop in in the running game, and I think because of that, they're going to be able to, to to block. They'll they'll be able to handle their business as as pass blockers. I think they've got the tackles to do it, and you know you combine that with the run threat and and the threat of Jordan Travis's legs, and I think they're going to have a lot more time to throw this year than they did last year as well. So the foundation of this team is built up front. And I think this offensive line, if you look at the gap between last year and this year, I think it's pretty significant. I think this offensive line is significantly better than last year's group was coming into the year and definitely a lot better than they were going into the LSU game last year. And then you pair that with the fact that, and I haven't even addressed this, Mason Smith from LSU is, of course, suspended for ridiculous reasons. The NCAA is being ridiculous here. And, of course, you know, the NCAA, uh, you know, treats him under the rules 
at the time in 2021 when he was signing autographs before NIL came in. So they, you know, we're going to treat you under the rules that you were under then, but they, you know, haven't been, they didn't make that decision when they, uh, when they made the decision for say Tez Walker and Daryl Jackson, when they transferred, no, we're going to treat you under the current transfer guidance, not the one that you transferred under. (sighs) Of course, anything better for the, anything that's, that's a, that's, that's worse for the athletes, right? It's NCAA motto. In any case, I'm not sure you beat LSU. I've said this a couple times in the offseason. I don't know that FSU beats LSU last year if Mason Smith doesn't tear his knee up on that first series. You go back and you watch that first series. Mason Smith was going to be a problem for Marie Smith, Gibbons, and Emmanuel last year. LSU's still good. They're really good on the on, on the defensive front with Mingo and other guys. They're still really good. But they don't have that guy out there. They don't have Mason Smith out there and who can just wreck you at one spot, you isolate him against any of those guys. And as I said, you, you know, the, the modern defensive coordinators are trying to isolate their guy against the guy they don't think can block him. I'm not sure Florida State has one guy that you feel can block that guy one on one with some consistency. And I don't think there's another guy on the LSU roster that scares you like that. So going in, they're in a better place and they're playing a, an, an LSU front that is lacking, and I think unjustly so, but lacking. Mason Smith up front. I think that puts them in a very good position going into the season. And I think you can expect a whole lot from this group as this, as this year goes on. So that'll be the end of that preview. Going to come back next with the quarterbacks and running backs. Going to combine that one, probably release within 12 or so hours of this one. Going to be doing a whole lot this week. As always, thanks to everybody for, uh, for your support. Thanks to my sponsors and going to be continuing to uh, work on getting some other stuff uh, together on that front. Uh, Now that I've switched some platform stuff, have a lot of work to do this week. But uh, before that, I've got to get back to uh, finishing uh, the building of a college course, and then I'll get to recording the, the next episode and releasing that. This has been Unconquered with Doc Staples. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Doc Staples. Thanks for listening. I'd like to thank my advertising partners, EPR Creations, Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, Shenandoah Real Estate at ShenRealEstate.com and the Research Triangle of North Carolina, Garage Makeovers in South Florida. And then, of course, if you have not stopped by the Unconquered Podcast shop at UnconqueredPodcast.com, you can buy stickers and all sorts of other gear. Go ahead and do that. Always helps support the podcast. Thanks also to those supporters over at Patreon, where I post video analysis and field questions for the podcast from supporters. I'm especially grateful to those above the dynasty level. That is Andrew Garrett, Brian Leininger, Jonathan Kennedy, Lee Caswell, Travis Smith, Tyler Kashishki, Dave Blair, and Bert Bertoldi. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please leave a five-star rating over at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Post us on social media and tell a friend. This has been the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening. I made this.